You're tuning into this week's Revival Recap. Let's hear what's happening in the life of our church. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to our Revival Recap. It's uh, yeah, it's a good week this week, I tell you what. Uh, thanks for listening, and remember the point of this is to grab little bits and pieces from what we speak about uh, that related to the sermon and related to Saturday night, in this case Friday night as well, and really apply them to your life, gives you an opportunity to just build and grow. So hope you're enjoying it, and uh, we've got a, a real killer one for you this week because uh, in the house this week we have with us uh, Eric and Candace Johnson. Hey guys. Hey, good to be here. Hi, so fun. It's such a treat to be here with you guys. That's our treat. It's totally our treat. So uh, we've loved having you here. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. Just straight off, you just preached, Eric. Yeah. You guys have had a whole week of leadership stuff and all that. And you're sitting down to chat with us. So thank you. We appreciate the time. Absolutely. Just like an interrogation, little interrogation. For you, you know? <laughs> have at it. <laughs> all good. So um, coming in, uh, you guys were with us a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. When we launched. Yeah. Last yeah. September. Wow, that's amazing, right? Has it gone quick for you guys, or how's it felt like from? I your would end? say, yeah, it's gone very quick in the last year. Oh, but it's, it's so beautiful. We come back, and there's so much life here. I am super proud of all that's going on here, and the leadership, and how things are growing, and there's so much joy and family. It is really fun to come back a year later. Yeah, we just finished the service, and so much life. I love the multi-generations, little kids all the way up to elders and older people and everyone in between. So yeah. we, we have a real passion for multi-generational. And so it's just beautiful to see that in one year's time, which is just so encouraging. It's crazy. I love it. I love it so much. And it's been such a blessing for us to be able to carry the DNA, you know, from the start and the culture from the start. And I think that's made so much difference. You know, we haven't had a sort of trailblaze that you guys went ahead of us and, of course, all the generations before. So let's get right into it. Um, what did you carry? What did you feel in your heart coming here, praying into this time, um, heading into what you would share? Uh, why, why these messages at this time? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really passionate about just seeing the body of Christ step into the fullness of who God has created us to be. And so I love to do anything to to speak into it and almost um, expose things that are in our lives that we just are not even aware of because they're so normal. And um, so I love to hit freedom on all different angles. And that's why I just chose to to expose something that I believe that is kind of the acceptable sin in the church. You know, and so my, I kind of talked about the double standard that we live in with the way that we talk to ourselves. Yeah, that was powerful. How about you, Eric? Yeah, for me, it's, it's the topic of culture, how did the kingdom work, and all those things are just, I'm very fascinated with it, and I have to tell myself to take breaks every now and then just to give it a breather, <laughs> but I feel it resurging again in me. And so I think for me, bringing it, especially within Austin, you know, such a cultural center of America right now, and it's, and it's, it's emerging even more so um, in really beautiful ways and then in not so beautiful ways. And so I think it's an amazing time to see how the church can engage in the conversations now. So for me, I'm very passionate about how can we actually, instead of running away, can we actually engage? And you know, we've been going after this for a long time I mean, for me, I've been talking about this for, it's a broken record for me, but getting a little bit more smarter and intelligent in it is kind of what I'm passionate about. And then just drawing on the life of Jesus and the Roman Empire and understanding Jesus did it really well and raised up an army of people to thrive in 
a pretty crazy culture right. in Roman Empire. Yeah. So it must tell us it's actually possible. And so for me, I get super inspired and hopeful to see the church thrive in today's culture and to truly create an impact culture. Yeah. Wow. Well, I love that we share that passion. So I've got to stop all the rabbit trails that my brain wants to go down totally. right now. You know? I don't know if you guys realize, but uh, Candice, you preached on Friday night. Eric, you just preached now Saturday night. Um, Candice, you like did all the inner world stuff. And Eric hit us with the outer world stuff. Did, I mean, there you go. Bam. Right? That's it. Boom. Just the Johnson one, two. I'd say one and done, but it's two and done. You know, <laughs> so, that's good. Um, Candice, let's start with you because, you know, normally we cover one sermon in this. We've got two to hit, but let's see where it goes. Um, I loved what you spoke about. You spoke, you just mentioned right now, this being the unspoken of sin mm -hmm. in the church. Mm -hmm. That's heavy. That's a heavy statement. What, what initiated this conversation for you? Is this something that you lived through, something that you've carried for a while and had to find freedom from yourself? Or what was it that sparked this for you? Well, I definitely have been on my own journey and have um, encountered different levels of my own double standard, you know, because I love people so much and my belief in them is almost effortless. And, and then yet I don't treat myself with the same. And I think there was a statement that I've been hearing throughout I've heard it in movies, I heard it from people, and I talk with people, do a little bit of counseling and stuff, and it's a statement like, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not, and this thing that we hold ourselves underneath, and I'm like, where is the love of God in that? Right. Like, where is the actual desire of God um, in the, just that free flow from heaven? I'm like, are we bypassing ourselves? And when I read the word, and it says to love our neighbor as ourselves, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, oh, we've got it, like loving God, where you love people. And we, you know, you read so many scriptures about how important it is, how we relate and treat each other. But yet we were supposed to treat out of, out of how we treat ourselves. Right. And so really hitting on that, because I believe that that's what... Um, I've experienced, but I've also probably even more than just as much as experienced seeing other people hit their lids and reject the stuff that's on their own lives because they can't even accept and appreciate and love who God's created them to be. Wow, that's amazing. So people actually feeling unworthy even, even yeah. of callings or even of, I mean, you know, one of the hardest things is to love yourself. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we'd say it's an epidemic in the church almost, certainly in global Christianity. When you put in religion, the mix of the weight or burden of that structure. Yeah. To love yourself has all these hurdles that are put in our way, you know. And it's just um, how crazy powerful accusation is and judgment. And we know that. I mean, and Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. And yet we and we know we're not to accuse and to judge. And because what that does is it binds us. Yeah. But right. yet we do it. We're, a lot of times um, we just get conscientious of what we're actually partnering with, thinking about and saying to ourselves. A lot of it's accusation and judgment all day long. So I don't know why we're not surprised on why we're not feeling and um, feeling more confident and freer um, in the way that we're living and what we're choosing to do. When, we, when we're talking to ourselves like that. Right, absolutely, because you're shaping your world. Yeah. You're shaping your world. Now, mental health is a massive topic yeah. in the world at the moment. How much, I mean, obviously we have our answer to this already, but I want your thoughts. How much of a role does this play on mental health? And how does this disguise mental health in the church when it's actually related to this inner world that we haven't Yeah, I mean, mental, he mental health, that's a really broad 
um, yeah. spectrum. But I've, it's a crucial role because we know that our words are powerful. If they have the power of life and death, and if we're speaking death over ourselves all the time, then um, we're just creating this, um, we're putting our own chains on. Mm. And they were like, oh, but we're free in Jesus. And, I've, and it's just um, something that it does shape who we are and it does um, dictate where we're, who we're going to be and where we're going to end up. So I love mm. talking about this stuff. It's that practical, what does love look like? And I believe that loving yourself, a good symptom of that and um, an aspect of that is that self-talk, mm. our thoughts, um, and even what we're declaring over ourselves when we look in the mirror. It's the stuff, the subconscious things, a lot of things we don't even think about. You know, and I, I catch myself saying, I'll do something like drop salsa on my foot or something. And I'll go, oh, you're so dumb. Oh, that's so dumb. Yeah. Like, I would never tell you that you're dumb. Why is it okay to treat myself that way? And I think that was the big moment for me. Mm -hmm. You know, where I was like, wow, that's so true. You wouldn't say these things to somebody else. Yeah. And it's somehow you think that there's almost a familiarity with self, right? Do you think that we skip a step somewhere along the way where we bring people into salvation, but we then sort of just head straight into the Christianity path, but we skip that initial stage of, okay, identity, who you really are, and loving yourself? How different would that look if we didn't skip that? Definitely. And I think people, I mean, I think the best way to teach people is by modeling. And so even, even being people who are patient with ourselves and that we're not the fastest to um, throw stones at ourselves, but mm. like, it's okay, I made a mistake. And that's yeah. not the end of the world, and it's going to be okay. I did my best, yeah. or I'm going to do my best to fix this. And just having that kind of grace for ourselves and love for ourselves, I think that's the best way to um, to help lead others into that. Now, you, uh, we know that your salsa skills need some work. <laughs> right? I did drop salsa on my foot at the store before. <laughs> and the other, the other one that you let out of the bag was caving and adventuring. Oh yes. I mean. That's crazy. I mean, I, you had me and I looked around. There were a lot of people gasping for air when you were telling that story. I felt immediately claustrophobic when you shared that. Um, but, you know, it also tied to something you brought up later on about surrounding yourself with the right people yeah. as well. How much of a role does that play, the words of others in the role of affirmation? But also, you know... <laughs> In a sense, I feel like we lack confidence sometimes in our identity, right? Like, yeah. it's almost wrong for me to say to somebody, you know what, I'm really good at this, you know? But to have people around you that can actually hear that from you and mm -hmm. support you in it. What's that role been for you, particularly leading a movement like this, um, of having healthy voices around you and keeping voices out? I would say that the most powerful thing that I've experienced from the leaders around me and my friends around me is belief. The power of people believing me saying, Candace, I believe that you were created for this. You go. I, I will be there to support you. You, you have to do this. And I'm like, are you sure? Because some of the things that God opens for us are just daunting. And it is um, crazy when I can live off the belief of other people. I borrow it for a while until it becomes my own. Wow. And I believe that sometimes faith is like that. You know, like, I don't know, but you know. So I'm going to use start there. And then it becomes my own of like, yep, I, I do have this because my God is that big. And, he, um, and I am made in his image and he adores me and my, the banner over me is love. And that starts to become my narrative as well. Yeah. Now here we have a catch 22 because now I know that there'll be people listening going, okay, but I don't have those kind of people around me. And also, I'm not sure that I love myself. Yeah. So 
there's a there's a catch twenty two in this because you need both to make you sort of progress towards this wholeness. Uh, what would you say some of the practicalities are in those that are seeking people like that, um, but also don't feel ready to trust somebody like that? Yeah, I would say go to God first because he's a per he is love. He's the he's the perfect father, and so I I don't think that we can always expect that from people, but God. God is always there. And so um, I would say I've, I experienced an un, just the craziest love from the Father that really began this transformation inside of me. And it's really nice when I have people around me, but my life is really, my source of life is God. And that's why in the last night I had people just take a moment and go, I want you to ask God, what do you love about me? Now you're stealing my next question. <laughs> you're stealing my next question, you know, but it's all good. Okay, you carry on. It's your sermon. You go, let's just, let's just do what and you want. And it's that direct connection. Like I actually, um, I believe that we experience God in other people yeah. because we're all made in his image and we carry different parts of him. And there's victories that you have and there's things that you, gifts that you carry that I, that I need. Mm. And so I know that relationships are important, but um, I, I know that my life source is the Lord. And so I would anchor down into him first and ask him directly, Lord, what do you love about me? Because you hear his voice once and it changes everything. So I would, I, I think that if you don't have it around you, you start, you start and you go directly to the Lord. And if you have it around you, you start and go directly to the Lord. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. That is such a good starting place. Um, I'm not going to get the, the Candace evil laugh, am I? I'm not going to get <laughs> I, that. I, I, be able to, to make it happen. You can pull it's, it it's real. It's real. <laughs> oh, she's very proud of it. <laughs> she owns it. You got to own it. You know, she owns you it one hundred percent. Yeah, I even have like evil laughing practice sessions in the car. Oh. Like it's just fun because it just makes you laugh even more. Wow! <laughs> All right, wow! We're gonna post that up somewhere. So we can see yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, oh man, Eric, uh, you mentioned tonight as you preached how proud you were of Candace. Um, preaching last night. I mean, she, it's unbelievable, right? You said it could be the best she's ever preached. So good to see so proud of her as well. What's it been like as a husband being on that end, seeing her journey through that and into that um, confidence through that self-talk and, uh, and sorting that out? Oh, it's been fun. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, preaching, and I hope it's okay for me to say it on this. Just have at it. Just have at it. You can do, you can do an evil laugh while I'm doing it. <laughs> no, it, it's, I mean, she has not enjoyed preaching all the time and so but she's committed herself to it and so we always have these little debriefing sessions after she speaks anywhere and you know sometimes it's like I don't want to do this anymore I'm you know that and then other times it's like okay how do I get better so it's been a journey you know but I, I keep telling her experience is your best friend you just yeah. have to keep doing it so I think it was just fun last night to see just kind of see some of the fruit of all those conversations yeah. and her diligence to not not to not not do it you know yeah. so I think that was fun you know of course I was proud of like yeah she's pushing through it and she kind of was herself like fully herself and that was fun yeah so, that's yeah. awesome and uh, did you have some takeaway points for yourself from uh, honestly from I did you know I think preach? the whole thing of self-talk and what you tell yourself I think like what you said you familiar you get so familiar with it that you forget mm. it's wrong you forget, you forget it's off so I think when I heard it last night, I was like, oh, wow, that's just a familiar voice that I've got to confront. Mm. So even me, I realized, oh, there's a few statements that I tell myself way too much, but I didn't realize it. So I was really grateful for the uh, kind of the wake up, like, 
well, why are you telling yourself these things? So I hadn't realized it. So even today, I caught myself a couple of times just thinking. So I was super grateful for that. So wow. big takeaway. It wasn't a woman's message. It was oh, no. everybody's message. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even though the statistics in the message were around, you know, women statistics and and I was like, this is, this is for men and women for sure. So yeah. it was great. No, it was powerful. I think that's actually the statement I said to my wife when, I, when we chatted about it and debriefed it, is that it wasn't, and you know, I mean, you have to be so careful, right? When you say this, woman, men, I mean, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean it, not to be derogatory at all, but it, it, exactly like you say, it wasn't a woman preaching. It wasn't a woman message or a man message. It was just fire. Exactly. It was just incredibly yeah. powerful. Yeah. So. Yeah, thank you again so much. It's brilliant. Um, well, if we can't get your, eagle, your, your evil laugh out of you, we've got to get some Carmen uh, or Petra uh, or POD stories out of you, Eric, because that was your confession tonight. And we share that. And my wife is against me listening to Carmen. She's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. But uh, I'm, I'm a grown man now, and I'll still listen to him from time to time. I, I remember the very covers, the pictures, and everything, you know? That's very interesting. You still listen to Carmen. I'll yes. just leave it at that. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm kind of feel, feeling yeah. your wife right now. Like, All right, yeah, right. She might be right on this one. I don't no, know. I'm kidding. There's I'm something kidding. about it going back to the day it revived, revives me, you know? You telling me you don't listen to him anymore? <laughs> I haven't listened to him in, he's probably been a good 20 years. Okay, well, that's Actually, all right. Probably 25 years. I'll pull up the Spotify. We'll sort that the out. Champion, we'll sort that out the Champion, the Witch's Invitation. Witch's Invitation, I knew all brilliant. of Carmen's Witch's Invitation was a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. He's a great storyteller. It was a great, it was a great moment. Well, it's interesting because you spoke about storytelling in yeah. part of your sermon today and that we need new storytellers. Yeah. And he was a great storyteller. Yes, he was. Brilliant. What do you think new storytelling looks like in our time? Yeah, I think storytelling and media, I think media, no question. Um, I think what, it feels like what the Lord is doing is he's, this may sound funky or funny, but it seems like the intelligent part of Christianity is getting bigger and broader, and it's not just tucked away in a corner somewhere. What do you mean by the intelligent So what part? I mean by that is I feel like the church at large is getting smarter, getting more intelligent, and it's not just what I was told. And so in other mm. words, oh, this is my parents' faith, or this was this is just kind of how it is. But actually going, why do I actually believe these things? And I think in that journey, the church at large is getting a lot smarter about what they believe in. It's not because it was handed to them or they just grew up in it. It's actually like, no, this is why. So I think theologically, I think philosophically, the church is getting way more intelligent and smarter, which is causing us to actually be able to engage like we've never been able to engage before. And so that's, at first it, it seemed, at least I grew up in the church, I can only speak from my experience. It felt like the really smart people, you couldn't find them. You couldn't really find smart Christians, in my opinion. Mm. They were out there, but sure. it wasn't, it was like rare. Now it feels like that, that thing is spreading out into all the streams, and so I think it's because people are asking big questions, and then God's taking people on the journey. So. So I think some of that's that, and then I think the you know media. I mean, every industry, to be honest with you, in every part of culture, because because it's not as surface and it's actually going deeper. We're able to communicate and to do things that are just brilliant, that are just you know the writing, the scripting. I mean, movies and film and all the websites, and I mean, there's so many different avenues of storytelling now, and so. You know, you don't have to have a million dollar budget to tell a story anymore. You, right. you just need a phone. You right. know? So I think and the, the, the medium of telling stories are 
everyone has their way to tell a story now. So because of that, you're just getting, you know, you have five-year-old, I don't know, it's just exciting. I think it's super exciting. The tools to tell the story are literally in our pockets. And that was not the case. Right. What, before yeah. 2007, honestly. Yeah. You know, um, be before 2007, you know, the video editing software, all of that stuff was coming on the scene. But when the iPhone came out, that changed the game. Yeah. And so, so anyways, I, I think it's, we're getting smarter. I think we're getting better at communicating and we're taking it way more seriously and not just assuming and, that, and not just making a big sweeping assumption everybody knows about God or everybody wants to know. No, no, we're getting, we're getting down to the nitty gritty, getting our, our hands dirty. And I see that happening all over versus just a few. So that's exciting. When you say all over, do you think it's a generational thing or do you think it's across the board? You know, it's probably connected to a generational thing. You know, I think it's, I think it's also probably connected to the postmodern effects. You know, the effects of postmodernism, the desire to, you know, why? Why is it that way? You know? Well, let's speak about that a little bit because this is a massive thing in the church globally at the mm -hmm. moment. Uh, Postmodernism, I mean, it deconstructs. It doesn't build anything. It leaves you in a, in a ton of rubble. That's why we see this loss of value system and loss of identity. Um, do you really believe, and I'll push you on this one, do you really believe that the church is catching on to that and that we are actually wrestling with faith and grappling with faith and rebuilding? It, or yeah. are we lost? I think it's all the above, I'll be honest with you. It's a super slippery slope. Mm. And so um, I think any time you deconstruct, you need to make sure you're constructing something. But if you just deconstruct it for the sake of deconstruction, and I, re I mean this sincerely, I think we're losing a generation because they're just deconstructing for deconstruction's sake. Absolutely. And yeah. so, so in that sense, it's getting lost. It's just ending in a pile of nothingness. And that's just opening the doors to incredible levels of secularism the demonic. I mean, it's just, it's just like, it's slippery. However, I do think asking big questions is really important. You know, especially for a generation that maybe, it's hard to say it in the right way, but I think it's important for all of us to grapple with our faith, to grapple with the why. There are the pillars that are immovable, and I don't think we deconstruct those. You know, I think Jesus' death, resurrection, all of that heaven and hell, some of these big cardinal truths, if you will, honestly, those aren't ones that are supposed to be deconstructed, in my opinion. And so I think when you start deconstructing those, then you've opened yourself to not a slippery slope, but a free fall. And that, yeah. that's what deeply concerns me. And so, but at the same time, asking really great questions to deepen, you know, Jesus seemed to respond to two types of questions. You know, when the religious leaders said, they asked him a question, show us another sign. He was able to understand the motive. They were actually trying to get him into a theological corner. So he knew, like, no, they're actually not hungry. You're trying to justify a doubt you already have, an unbelief you already have. You're trying to find more evidence for that. And then you have Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. He said, asking Jesus questions, Jesus stayed up all night with him and answered right. every question. And they were a crazy question. I mean, we laugh at it, like, Nicodemus was like, so to be born again, I have to go back into my mom? Like, he was really thinking that. And Jesus is like, and you're a teacher of Israel? But Jesus stayed all up all night with them. And I think that's really beautiful to understand that there are questions. If you're asking to earnestly know truth, 
I believe, I believe the answers are right there. But if you're already in a place of doubt and unbelief, then sometimes asking questions out of that posture, it's a really slippery slope. Right. And so so it, 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 it's delicate in some way. And there's an attitude thing in there somewhere, right? There's a mm -hmm. desire to know truth or a desire to be critical. Mm -hmm. that, that's a defining difference in, yeah. in your approach. But if you're saying we don't deconstruct the pillars of the faith, what are we talking about deconstructing um, and how would we do that in a healthy way? Are we talking about structures, models, expressions? Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. Let me throw a caveat in here. So mm. the challenge with, let's you say structures and models, I would say absolutely. But we have to be careful because I think, especially, uh, it's an old leadership principle, don't move a fence until you know why it was put there in the first place. Right. John Maxwell. Mm -hmm. it's, one of the, it's one of the wisest leadership life principles, you know, and especially for a young generation, the natural thing a young person does is they say that is old and this is new, and we reject that and this is new. And that, that, is, that is the first mistake right there. We have to understand that we got here because of that. And even, I mean, if you study revival history, some of the messages and main teachings and some of the revival that we all adore, we would not, they weren't theologically wrong, they were just a brick in the, in the wall to help build the wall. Mm. Like we wouldn't be teaching that stuff today, not because it was theologically wrong. It was just that was the message for that time. So I have made a vow to myself: I will never criticize any move of God, how recent or how old it ever is, because all I know is that created momentum to see what we're experiencing today. So yes, I would say it's new models, new expression, new you know new things, but it can't be done in spite of or in criticism of what was already there. Right. Because that's the foundation we're standing on. And so, so yes, I would say it's new, new models, new structures. I think what we think is Christianity is sometimes is not. Right. You know, I mean, there's right. all these things. And, and so for me, I think it's, you know, it's, it's worth talking about. It's sure. worth diving into. Sure. You know, I think, I do think it's important. A lot of people would deconstructing but have no roots in Scripture. Absolutely. They, they don't even, they don't even, first of all, read the Bible is helpful, but they don't even base their life on what the scriptures are saying. So they're deconstructing something they have no foundation in. So I'm telling a lot of young people around, I said, you've got to get in the Word. Like, get a foundation of scripture, then ask these questions. But we're asking questions with not even looking to the Word. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of these conversations that I think are really important. Yeah. And you mentioned the bubble a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and getting out of that bubble. There's really, there's, in a sense, I guess, a, a macro bubble and a micro bubble. A macro being Christianity as a whole, mm -hmm. the micro being our Bethel bubble, mm -hmm. um, in a way, and revival yeah. culture and that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we live in, I mean, we do, we attend a pretty healthy bubble. <laughs> we do, and we tend to forget that there's a larger bubble at yeah. stake that is not necessarily as healthy. Yeah. Um, so within that, within that context, when we think about questioning things, owning our own faith, um, being in the scriptures and knowing, when we come to church, just on a real practical level or involved in a ministry or this or that, just as your everyday believer who's involved in the, in the, in the church, what are some of the questions that are healthy to ask? What are a couple of questions that we don't need to be asking at this point? Ooh, I know it's a, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a biggie, but I want to give. I don't want. I don't want to leave anybody in confusion when it comes to deconstruction and asking questions. Mm -hmm. That it's like, oh, now I question everything. You know, it's like, 
Maybe yeah. two or three thoughts. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, probably the simplest way to answer that for the time we have would be, for me, as an American, living in California. Which is important because worldview yes. is a massive... Yeah, and like I problem. always say, what makes up your worldview? Right. I wouldn't be questioning something in a Bible. I'd be asking, what has shaped my worldview? And I think sometimes for a lot of believers, their worldview is, oh, this is a Christian worldview. They're definitely, definitely Christian to some degree, maybe a lot or little. But I think asking big questions like, why do, I, why do I view the world a certain way? And if it's not coming from Scripture, then what is it coming from? And I think it's scary to admit that because I lived in California pretty much my entire life, I'm an American, and I'm 43, I've lived in you know, 1976 to 2019, all the world events, all of that has shaped my view, whether I want it or not. To admitting that, I think opened the door for going, oh wow, that's actually not a biblical worldview, or that one thing I view this. You know, I mean, let's take the, let's take the topic of racism for one. I mean, that's an ongoing conversation in right. America. Yeah. You know, you, you don't know you're racist until you're confronted with something. Right. You know, in Northern California, I mean, I'll be honest, is predominantly white, conservative, and everyone's, oh, I'm not racist, until you're confronted with a scenario. All of a sudden, you start realizing, oh, this view I have actually is. I just never got exposed to it. So, I mean, you go to, you go to women in ministry. You go to all the different, and I'm talking about the church context, but the principle yeah. is the same of like, until you're confronted with it, so my, probably my advice to, or my answer to your question would be ask questions about what shapes your worldview. That, that's where I like deconstructing. And that, that's kind of the journey I'm on. Like, what, what is shape? Now, you know, kind of like when you mix two colors, you make one color, it's really hard to separate them. And so it's like one of those things. So I think just accepting the fact that, yeah, I do have an American worldview. I just do. I can't help it. It's the truth. So this is where I think the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul, the body of Christ, I think this is very valuable in this conversation in that we have to, we have, to have relationship with the rest of the body of Christ. Every stream thinks they're a river. Right. You know, any stream, and we think, man, we are all, and I don't know. And you're speaking about different denominations. Denominations, different movements. yeah, different, mm -hmm. different stream, different whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so we've been very intentional, not just the two of us, but our, the people that we run with, we've been very intentional about crossing, like, hey, we want what you have, bring it. And so even in the last 12 months alone, we've been very intentional of different voices coming into our environment and teaching us about, about things that are very different view, different worldview. Right. And we get to travel a lot, so that helps as well. Like we get to travel the world and we get to experience culture. Uh, the Christian context or the non-Christian context of culture, and that just, you begin to realize, well, my worldview is really small. There's a lot more. So I think, I think what the challenge for Americans is Americans think we're at the top of the world, we are the pinnacle of everything, and our worldview is the best, and, and I love America deeply. But I also understand we don't have the whole picture. And so being open to being influenced by other, not other faith views, like Islam, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about just the rest of the body of Christ. Right. Like, are we actually rubbing shoulders? Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, so th those, are, those are some initial thoughts without going yeah. into a two-hour podcast. Does this drive you crazy? 
Does he drive you crazy, getting on that bandwagon for hours? Oh, no, he has lots of thoughts. It's just when he tries to preach me when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> we don't talk about this much, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, drop yeah, a bomb yeah. just as you're dozing off, just as you're about to fall asleep. Just drop, drop a bomb there and just get your brain going. Yeah, another thing I would throw in, because I understand not everybody's fascinated with the stuff that I am. Yeah. And I tell people, then don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, right. don't, don't panic. Because some people get into Follow this. Jesus. Some yeah. people get into this modern and postmodern and post-Christian. I just find it so interesting and it's so helpful. Some people get really discouraged, depressed, and it's like, they're like I feel like I'm, I'm like, okay, then right. go, go do some, study something else. But for me, it inspires me. It brings me hope. It gives me strategy yeah. of how to equip our church or the people that we get to influence of, hey, this is what we can do. Mm. And there's fruit from that. And so, so again, I would just say, if you don't enjoy these conversations, then let other people study it and teach you it. And then you go, you go after other things. And right. like my wife, this is not something she's passionate about. Yeah. But she's interested in it. Yeah. Do you spend your time studying it and stuff like that? No, but I love the church being equipped to actually yeah. engage with culture. So I'm, right. I, I am passionate yeah. about that. The way we operate very differently. Yeah. I, I probably love human behavior a little bit more than... Um, well, I mean, you do get this element, and Renee preached so brilliantly about it last week, about women in ministry. Mm -hmm. And that is an element that's totally relevant to postmodernism, mm -hmm. in that in this deconstructive state, it's sort of like, no, everybody needs a seat at the table. And Renee uh, made a, such a profound statement saying, you don't get a seat at the table just because we have to reconstruct feminism into the world. You get it because you earn it. And you... Mm -hmm have you know, the knowledge and the skills and the ability to be there, you know. But it is super important for this balance, particularly in ministry, for, for women to have their rightful place, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and I appreciate just different personalities and different styles. And I think we all receive from people um, because there's things that we're able to grasp and gather um, from diff all the difference and the variety of um, men and women leaders. So I think it's really important that we're all stepping in, saying yes, and bringing our whole self to the table, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. A um, couple more questions, if you guys are okay. It's great. Um, I loved what you said, and I've heard this said this way before. It freaks people out a little bit, a post-Christian um, yeah. time or cultural moment, if you will. Mm -hmm. But defining around this single thing and maybe we could unpack this just a little bit as along the lines of what to be aware of yeah. but the definition of seeking the kingdom without the king mm -hmm. what does that mean a little bit seeking yeah i think it'd be good to talk like what is post-christian post-christendom um i think that's important to just at least give a definition so whoever listened to this message knows what i'm referring to so I have, I have a challenge of the word post-Christian for one thing, because it implies that what was was purely Christian or perfectly Christian, so to speak. And so I processed with one of our staff, Dan Fairley. He's, he's one of our brilliant minds on our team. Our, he's kind of our in-house theologian teacher. And I was processing with him. He said, I don't like that phrase, Eric, post-Christian. I know what it's trying to say, but he, he said, I think post-Christendom it's a little bit more accurate. And I said, that actually makes a little more sense. Like, yeah, it's, it was an expression of Christianity in a, in a Western context. We're actually moving into something else now. So that helped me versus like, it's not a rejection of, I don't know, it just helped me understand it. And so to answer your question, um, what was your question again? Makes sense. Uh, seeking the kingdom without the king. Yeah, I think That definition of uh, revolving around I guess benefits. We all want the benefit, but we don't want to follow, have someone lead us. 
you know, it's, it's um, you know, Chris Rallison used this example years ago about, you know, he was talking to somebody that, uh, a man and a woman have lived together for 10 years, but they wouldn't get married. And he's like, you know, why, why aren't you getting married? And they're like, it's just a piece of paper. And he said, no, it's not just a piece of paper. You just, you want all the benefits, but not the covenant. Right. And right. I think that's the reality of, when we say yes to Jesus, we, we, we gave up everything. We, we essentially give up everything. So I think a lot of people want the benefit of stuff, but not the covenant, not the, the price, not that. And so I think, and so what happened in that kind of context is you become your own God. You become your own, I mean, you become your own morality. You become your own standard. You become, mm -hmm. you define all that. And so we live in a day and age where re, everybody defining things however they want to define. Right. And that was really, that, you know, I, so I think what we're talking about post-Christian and post-Christendom is a grandchild of post-modernism. It's, it's just, an, it's a constant going in that direction. And at the end of the day, it's going to collapse at some point. You know, it's, it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna fall on its head at some point. And, you know, and that's why I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. It's like, yeah, if this continues, eventually, and it's going to set the stage for a great awakening. It's going to set a stage for a revival. It's going to set a stage. It is setting the stage for that. Right. And so, yeah, so those are, those are some of the thoughts on the uh, king with, kingdom without a king. And that is the most important thing, to, to have hope. Yeah. And to, to know that this is the bride of Christ. He is returning. This is his uh, establishment on earth or his, the way that he operates through the earth. We are still moving forward. We're not Absolutely. all shutting the doors and Absolutely. going home, you know. Yeah. In your travels, just shifting gears a little bit, in your guys' travels, and seeing different streams and different movements and different denominations, is there unity growing um, among churches and among streams and, and denominations? We think so. Yeah, our, our experience is um, there's just a, a love and appreciation uh, on all from all different um, streams and different denominations, and I just don't know that we we actually have affection and appreciation for each other. So we, especially this year, and more. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're stepping into a space where we're connecting with a lot of leaders that are within like say 10 years of our age from 35 to like 55, 45, I'm, we're 43. So 35, 45, 50 around there. And, um, and just seeing a desire to want to run together and not because we're in the same denomination or not because we're in the same circle, but because we love the Lord and we have deep affection and appreciation for each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've really drawn near to quite a few different individuals yeah. that are definitely not in the Bethel uh, sphere kind of circle and it's so fun because mm -hmm. that's just the fun of the kingdom and the Lord that we carry different aspects of him and you get to experience the fullness of Christ when we embrace the beauty of each other and who Christ is in each of us. Yeah. We were with a, um, one of, a friend of ours who is older than us who had been involved in several movements over the course of his life. We were with him earlier this week and we were just telling about some of the friends that, you know, some of the people that were pulling on and, you know, we're working together on kingdom stuff. And he made this comment. He said, you know, a lot of movements historically, they kind of, they kind of get inbred, you know, as they mature and develop, they get inbred. And right. he even used the word to kind of get ancestral. They just kind of get, it just kind of, that. and he said, the key for movement is to not get inbred. It's actually, it's, it's actually the, the opposite, so to speak. And obviously there's wisdom in that, and, and right. that's, that's important. Yeah. There's wisdom in that. It's not a free-for-all, and that's not what we're implying. Yeah. But genuinely speaking, um, I would say absolutely. I feel like I haven't ran into a 
I can't remember the last time I ran, actually I do remember now that I say that, probably, probably 10, 11 years ago, I ran into a situation at a certain event I spoke at that it would definitely did not go well. And, but the seeds were sown that the next year I got a phone call from the person that was running this event in saying, um, everything that you sowed and talked about is happening this year. But beyond that, it feels like everywhere we run, whether it's in the Bethel world, or if it's in the evangelical world, or if it's in the, you know, the Hillsong world, I mean, just you yeah. name it, it's like, man, everybody wants to link arms, and we need to change the world together. So I right. think that the metaphor of the body of Christ feels like it's more real today. And I, you know, I was raised in the church, and I'm like, it, this, I can't remember a time where there's more of this going on than before. And so I think part of it's the generation too, you know. I think the, the younger generation is very interested in linking arms. And the older generation laid that foundation. And so I right. think, yeah. you know, they laid the foundation, fought the, you know, paid the price. And Do you consider so us the younger generation? We're in absolutely, the absolutely. Yeah. I wasn't even going to question that. That's yeah. just a given. That's a given. I think we're like in the middle now. I feel like... I, I know. Cause, I mean, honestly, well, it's my like, middle I'm trying to work on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the middle. <laughs> exactly. You're right. So. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. Maybe in closing, I could just get um, just a couple words from each of you related to your sermon, closing thoughts, practicalities, encouragements. Yeah. Um, and then maybe just to wrap it, just encouragement, closing thoughts for us as a body um, here in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Just the free, for us to live in full freedom, it's having a free flow from heaven. And I believe it's love, but also the expression of love is forgiveness. That, um, that we freely receive the forgiveness of God and we freely give it. And um, for us to be healthy, whole people, we need to be really free to give forgiveness to ourselves. And that's the one thing that nobody else will know, but it's the, that, that it'll um, keep us trapped into that cave that I talked about, that prison. And so just um, in any area of life that we um, have anything against ourselves, that we would be really fast to bring it to God. And as... Um, as I grow in the Lord and in my faith, my goal is to just get faster and faster to go get closer to going to God, not hiding, not holding, but going, it's not even, I have, it's not even my right to hold it. It's yours. I will always choose forgiveness. And that's, a, that's forgiveness is a choice and it doesn't always feel like, I don't feel it. I'm like, well, I will always choose it because I need it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. For me, it's to acknowledge, yeah, we live in a very complex, challenging culture or times. And, but at the same time, we should be deeply encouraged because Jesus laid out the blueprint clearly in the Gospels and His teachings. He laid out a way of life, um, an upside-down kingdom, as Tim Keller said. He, he laid it out very clearly, and He was able to take 12 men. One, one didn't work out, but 11 of them and here we are 2,000 years later still experiencing the effect of that blueprint. So I think we should be deeply encouraged that if we can go back to the teachings of Jesus in its most purest form and, and to, live, to live the way that Jesus lived, not, just, not as an accessory to our life, but it's the lens that we live from. If we can do that, I think we're going to find ourselves positioned well, not just to make it, but to actually to bring the kingdom into culture and to create it. And so I, we, we live in a great time, an amazing opportunity. That's amazing. And how about a word from each of you just about us as Bethel, as yeah. uh, Bethel Austin, you know, um, you guys, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I hope you come sooner than a year from now. Gee, <laughs> was, I hope we can fit something in. You I know? hear there's some really good golf courses around here. So <laughs> I I'm didn't like, know that I you should... play, and I do. So, oh, uh, man. I'm well, up to, I'm up to maybe, uh, maybe having you let me win sometime. So, I'm down to that. <laughs> he's, he's quite competitive. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet. I have deconstructed my... See, this is something you can deconstruct. I deconstructed my swing, oh, and I'm rebuilding again. it. Right, I right. So, anyway. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. If it was that ugly, then fair enough. <laughs> No, we love what's happening here. I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's just incredible. You know, we've been talking with Joaquin Renee all week about, man, we were sitting here a couple of years ago in our office and, and look at us now. Look, look at what's happened since then. Yeah. And just deeply encouraged by the level of life. And I'm very excited about what God's doing to position this church in Austin. And for the region, but I, I do feel, I, what I felt this time was just, there's a positioning taking place God's building something that's getting ready to get out of the four walls of this place. And it's going to really impact Austin in a really beautiful way. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And I love the joy and the life that's here. And I believe that it's the bubbling and the overflow that's going to happen. And it's going to get all over this city. And, and I believe that's the sustainable part, like that joy and that life in doing family together. And just how we need to love ourselves and love each other. Sometimes it's hard to love the people closest to you. Yeah. And so when you see a family a year later, and like, oh, you still like each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's a lot of joy here. You're still choosing each other. That's yeah. a beautiful thing. That's when you know something um, significant is going on and that so um, is getting passed on to even you're seeing kids being raised up and, and it's only growing. So there's just so much beauty and health here. And I believe the favor of God is just going to increase on this place. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just take that minute to just honor our leaders so much. They are, they have planted so well and just fantastic, you know, fantastic. Yep. Haven't skipped a beat, haven't skipped yeah. a stride. So we love them, all of our leaders and uh, the guys that have worked in the office and that Chris standing behind the camera, you know, Still here, all late, working on stuff, and Stephanie and everybody that volunteers. So, yeah, guys, it's a time to celebrate. Coming up to our one year, so uh, we're going to have Chris Valaton with us, remember that. But it is, it's a time to celebrate. There's so much lost in not looking back and celebrating and just keeping going forward. Mm -hmm. But it's a good moment just to do that, and it's been such a privilege to have you guys with us. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for thank having Thank you. Us. So wonderful to be here with you guys. We love you. Well, thanks for listening to the Revival Recap, guys. Remember, you can get all of uh, the podcasts on our feeds uh, as well as the Revival Recaps. You can also get more out of your journey with us at BethelATX.com or grab a Connect Coach on one of the Saturdays and shake them around and they will, uh, they will help you out and point you in the right direction. Till next time, uh, have a great week. And remember, do put some of these practicalities into your life so that you can grow and build and own your faith. We're family. We're having fun. We're growing. Let's keep going. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Revival Recap. For more of our podcasts and other resources, visit BethelATX.com.